everybody. Welcome to this week's roundup number 366. So all the same shit I said last week, but leap year. Anyway, let's jump in. First up, Miss Mad Lemon recently released her new album, Paradox, which, like last year's album, Zaman, was recorded mostly on a Commodore 64, although this time she also utilized the Polyon Tracker and Vintage Synths. And while stuff like this is absolutely fascinating to me, it's like learning how to write and record music a completely different way than I'm used to, which is why I really enjoy watching it, but I am very terrible at explaining it. So luckily, Maddie has uploaded a video that shows exactly Exactly, exactly how she mastered and recorded this album. So if you're interested in just good music, give it a listen. But if you're really into music creation on older computers, this is a must listen. And, you know, music's all subjective. Maybe you'd like last year's better. Maybe you like this one better. It's all a win. It's all your opinion. But you could listen to it for free right on Bandcamp, streaming it right from there. And of course, if you're in a position to and you like the album, please buy it because it's so easy these days to forget that it costs a lot of money to make an album. Even if you do the whole thing yourself like Maddie did, you still need to buy equipment. You still need to take the time to do it when you could be doing something else. So please, please consider buying it if you like it, of course. Um, and obviously, if you want to hear more directly from Maddie, check out the interview we did a while back. But this was really enjoyable. I really liked the album and I really dug digging into her recording process for this and everything. So please give it all a watch and a listen if you're interested. So you may have heard that there was a 90s Sega document leak that let out a whole bunch of their emails, a bunch of their sales figures and stuff like that. And the Shiro crew and friends really dug into that. And there's so much awesome information. And Dave was nice enough to put together kind of a compilation post here. So you could have all of the different podcasts and all of the highlights of it. Uh, it's it just really, to be honest, if you have even the slightest bit of interest in this stuff, read this post at least, but there's uh, links to so many interesting things in there. And, you know, one of the things that I loved was they had the 1996 E3 convention show plans. And then Dave went back and did a video that kind of took clips from the show to show you what each of those things were. I mean, there's just so many fun things in here, but I think one of the things that you kind of get a pretty good sense of going through all of these things is that I think it was lore that, Sega of America was doing great and Sega of Japan kind of tanked the whole thing. And you start to kind of go through this stuff and realize it was, you know, there were, there were equal issues on both sides and it's kind of weird and interesting to, to see all of this stuff. But honestly, I don't really want to spoil it. I just kind of wanted to give enough of a teaser to make you want to read this. Cause there's just really awesome info in here. There's a bunch of videos if you prefer to listen to people talk, like if you're driving or working out or, you know, just walking or something like that, you could certainly uh, just listen to the different podcasts they have. But if you prefer reading, there's also tons of stuff here as well. And it's just, I don't know, this was a very interesting look into history. And this is one of those things that I imagine everybody listening would probably be interested in. But this kind of also dips into just business strategies of the 90s and, you know, history from that point of view. So everything about this just is kind of fascinating to me. So thanks to the whole crew for absolutely killing it with content, with summaries of this stuff. I think it's just made it so much easier to digest all of this. Uh, but the post here is probably everything that you could need to have links to basically everything else. So thanks very much, everybody. And, you know, this one was really awesome.
Rich White House recently released a beta of a new debugger tool to Patreon subscribers that allows for easier ways to create and debug software for the Atari Jaguar. So this is basically meant to be a debugger built into the big PMU Jaguar emulator that really helps with digging into debugging as well as creating software for it. And this will even work in tandem with his Noesis tool, which allows you to preview and convert between a bunch of model image and animation formats. So while I'm absolutely not qualified to dig into the details of something like this, I do think that the basic overview of if you're a software dev and you're looking to mess with stuff for the Jaguar, this is something that's a very big deal and it might make your hobby or, you know, whatever project you're trying to accomplish a heck of a lot easier. Now, this is at the moment only up for Patreon subscribers because Rich does the same thing that a lot of devs do that I completely and totally support and that beta stuff goes out to Patreon subs, both as a thank you for subscribing, but also because now that's your core group of people that understand it's a beta and probably know how to do beta bug reports and stuff like that. But all of Rich's stuff eventually is released to the public and it's usually within a, a very reasonable period of time anyway. So this is just a polite reminder that if you're in the position to support and you think that these tools would make your Jaguar hacking and game creating a lot easier, please consider supporting. Or if you're like me and you're just a nerd that's not smart enough to do those things, but is definitely a fan of people who are, <laughs> then please support. And if not, I totally get it. The stuff will be made available publicly soon enough. But this is pretty neat. You know, this is going to be one a couple of steps easier for people to create and edit Jaguar games. And I would love to see what people come up with, whether it's hacking existing games to be a little better or a little less broken, looking at you, checkered flag, uh, or just create brand new games from scratch anyway. But I'm excited to see what comes of this. Taito has just announced the Taito LD Collection, Laserdisc Collection, that is going to be released on the Nintendo Switch and include Time Gal, Ninja Hayate, and Space Battleship Yamoto. And these are three games that were originally based off of Laserdisc games, and the last one, Space Battleship Yamoto, was arcade only. So I think... For the general retro nerds, your most uh, popular or most known Laserdisc-based games were probably things like Dragon's Lair, but there were a bunch of others. And the Doomsday Duplicator Project, which I interviewed Simon and Chad a couple years ago, I really need to follow up with them at some point soon, but um, they part of what they were doing was preserving these original games in the highest quality possible. So uh, I really hope that Taito had uh, either had original source footage to go by or used some LD decode-based stuff in order to get that. But one of the biggest questions about this release are how are they going to be doing international releases? Are they going to be putting the efforts that the fan community puts in for localizations? Are they going to just do things like take a, a release on Sega CD and, and take that English dub from there? So Pat really goes into detail about that in this post. And if you're interested in any of those games, I strongly, strongly recommend you go through all of this uh, read everything, check out the video links to all of the different games and stuff. Uh, Pat really nailed the post. In fact, the entire Shiro crew <laughs> makes me look like a chump when it comes to my posts, but that works well for, for all of you. But um, if you're interested in picking up a physical release of the Japanese version, you can right through Amazon Japan. Um, there's a special edition for about 140 and a regular edition for 70, and it should be available in the US as well, but I'm not sure if it's going to be a physical release if it's only going to be a download. But this is pretty neat. I mean, it's it's cool to see some more obscure games get some love. 
And, you know, I think stuff like this, as long as the emulation doesn't suck, as long as it's just decent, I think this is kind of cool for everybody who cares about stuff like this because it's a really neat window into the past and the weird and unique methods that people used to have and are utilized really to to get their games and, and, and to do stuff like this. Because I remember growing up, I just never would have thought there was a game that's based on Laserdisc media. And once I started retro RGB and I started learning about this stuff, especially the stuff that was unfathomably expensive to me at the time, it's pretty interesting. And to think now you could experience this just by buying a Switch game, it's pretty cool. I just, I hope, uh, I hope they did the localization correct and got all of the translations right. But I think most of the games are pretty playable even without that. I guess we'll see. Check out Pat's post for more info. Voltar has just released a kit that's designed for expert-only installers to unbrick Wii U's that have had bad NAND memory. And I'll go into a bit of detail about all of this, as well as why I actually kind of agree why this should be an expert-only thing, but let's walk through it. So this is actually a two-piece kit that costs just over 30 bucks, I believe. And the first piece is called the NANDAID, Kind of crafty, I like that one. And that allows you to use a micro SD card to replace the internal memory without removing or hot airing the old surface mount NAND package. So that's a pretty big deal because that'll just make it so much easier. Um, and this also allows you to manually back up the failing memory off the original NAND when used with the SD tool. And the SD tool is a NAND dumper or writer jig that allows you to take advantage of the fact that the majority of SD card readers actually have the capability of reading and writing to eMMC or NAND memory. And that tool, the SD tool, isn't just for the Wii U, but could be used with any device that uses an eMMC NAND, such as the 3DS and specific Xbox 360 models. And the reason these are expert only is because there's no documentation, but even if there were, at, at what point does Voltar's responsibility end? And yeah, I know he's my friend, so I, I, I please don't think of this as taking sides. Anybody that remembers the old Retro Roundtable knows that we are our harshest critics. But, you know, if I totally agree that this is expert only. You buy it, there's no support, you know, unless obviously there's some damage in shipping or something like that. But you have to know how to do a lot of things that are software specific that have nothing to do with this kit. NAND dumping and flashing, restoring stuff on Wii U's. This, that's not the responsibility of the people who make stuff like this to provide. And there's already excellent, excellent documentation out there. I mean, there's whole groups of people that have absolutely streamlined and mastered hacking for all of these consoles. And I remember back when I was originally soft modding a Wii, what a nightmare it used to be. It used to take at least, for me to like get my whole Wii set up was like an hour. And now it's like a couple of minutes to get that done, to get the homebrew channel installed. So there's great documentation out there. Um, and this is just really for installers that have already done stuff like this, already know what they're doing, and just go, oh, hey, that tool will make what I already do completely and totally easier. Now, of course, if you feel like you could do something this complicated and you've done NAND restore and backups, go ahead and buy it. Just understand that, you know, with all the respect in the world, if you screw up your Wii or your Wii U, then, you know, that that's on you. I mean, that's kind of my opinion for a lot of these boards, um, but, you know... I also generally lean towards the let's help each other out side of things. 
But there's just, when things pass a certain level of complexity, it really, I think, is fair being called expert only. So as always, share your opinions. I always listen to your opinions, especially when they're politely worded. Just because I listen doesn't necessarily mean I'm immediately going to flip-flop and agree with you, but I do take everybody's to heart. And maybe Voltar and I are missing something. You know, it would be great to hear about that. But I think this is a really great tool for experts, and I'm, I think it's totally fair to keep it that way. But I'm all ears if you disagree. A group of NES ROM hackers have recently backported the game Celeste to the original Super Mario Brothers. So I believe this is a total reskin of the original Super Mario using that engine. So it plays the same, it feels the same, but the graphics and the level design are that of Celeste. So that's pretty neat. Um, you know, the mechanics of Celeste seem to fit well in the engine. I think Alex uh, really appreciated the game, and obviously that's why it sparked him to do the write-up on it. And while the people who did this described it as a hastily done mini hack, it really seems to be a lot more polished than that. So while I'm always a big fan of keep your expectations in check, this one does seem pretty cool. But unfortunately, it seems like it's not able to work on real hardware. Alex was able to get it to run on Open FPGA, uh, as well as the Misters NES core and the latest version of FCE UX, but they were not able to run it from an EverDrive N8 Pro uh, running the latest firmware. So um, it possible that it's an MMC5 thing. I'm not really sure, but you know, if anybody has any tricks to get this working on an EverDrive, that would be awesome. But if not, there's certainly a lot of other ways that you could experience it if you want to. But I'm always a big fan of ROM hacks. I think when when they're done right, it could just take an existing game and make it a completely new experience. And you know, sometimes it's just neat to play for a few minutes, but then you end up wanting to play the original. Both are a win. And if you liked the game Celeste, maybe give this a try and and see what you think. See if it's something that you would want to experience uh, via an SMB engine on an original NES, you know, original NES core, I guess, unless we get it running on the EverDrive. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm just going to skim through everything that's here. And if you hear anything that piques your interest, please go back and check out Lou's video where he has tons of visual examples and goes into more detail for, uh, for all of these things. First up, the N64 core has had some pretty amazing updates. Robert was able to boot the first commercial game running on the core, which is a simple game, just Namco Museum 64, but that's still just a very relatively short period of time going from starting from scratch to getting a game booting on this. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you could check out the core. Uh, there's just that one game running, but if you're an FPGA developer, maybe you might want to take a look at this as well. Also, Hotego posted a video showing Samurai Showdown loading on the Neo Geo Pocket Core, but with glitches. So that's just more great progress to having that core be completed. Also, CD support has been officially added to the Neo Geo Core, and it also supports up to a four times speed increase to significantly re reduce loading times. Now, with that, I tried it myself and I couldn't get the games to boot, so I'm pretty sure I messed up a BIOS setting somewhere. I think it's probably going to be an easy fix, or maybe my games could not be compatible, the ones that I downloaded. I'll try to work on that. And I also heard some people say if you have issues running the games, make sure 
sure that you turn off that 4x speed increase just to see if that fixes it. But either way, that's really awesome. And if uh, the console mods wiki has a list of all of the Neo Geo CD exclusive games, there's only a handful, but it probably, if you're a fan of this stuff, is in your best interest to find those games and give them a try because it'd be a really neat way to finally experience that without trying to fumble with original hardware. And then, of course, who knows? Maybe that's your gateway drug, and this is going to push you into getting original Neo Geo CD. But if not, at least you have a pretty good window into it. Next up, Wizzo has released a latest version of the remote script, which is just freaking awesome. It is now my go-to for everything, including a lot of INI changes I just do through his script now because it's so much easier. It's point and click through the GUI. Just, I can't gush enough about how much easier this script has made my life. So if your mister is connected to a network or if you have a Wi-Fi plugged into it, whatever, seriously consider loading this up and just dropping a link into your browser. It also supports um, naming now, and that was the thing I complained about a few weeks ago. So if you have multiple misters, you could just rename each one right in the remote script, then just hit save and reboot. And now you just save in your web browser. Like I have my RetroCastle mister right in front of me, so I just type in retrocastle.local, colon, and then I forgot what the... The, the ending is to it, but you just save that as a favorite in your browser. And now anytime you want to access your mystery, that's it. And it also shows you how much space is left on your SD card. It shows you the IP address. So if you want to transfer some files over your network and you forgot what the IP address was, or it keeps changing, fire up the web window. You got your IP address right there. Then you use your software. Honestly, I think somebody should do a video just walking you through this script. Lou, if you're up for it, go for it. If not, I'll do one, but it's just, it's everything I would have wanted in a remote app for it. Stuff that I didn't even know I wanted until I started using it. And it also is kind of making me think how much of that stuff could probably be integrated into the, the UI of Mr. But anyway, uh, next up, core developer Reiki is updating the Psychic 5 core. The core had issues displaying properly on some TV sets, so an option to change the horizontal and vertical refresh rate was added. A track 17 announced that Saint Dragon for the Mega System 1 arcade core has been released. I always want to call it the Jalico Master System 1, the Mega System 1 core. Um, you could check out more details on a public post on Patreon, or you could just enable the CoinOp collection database in the update all script and get the games that way. And there were a bunch of updates for previous cores uh, that were released for the Mega System 1. So basically just, um, you know, run update all to get them. But the games were Astonex and P47 Freedom Fighter. So uh, lots of cool stuff this week. Thanks very much to Lou for keeping us all in the loop of everything that's been going on. And of course, and especially subscribe to his channel. 8-Bit Mods has just opened pre-orders on a third batch of N64 Bluetooth receivers. And this is the same product that we've talked about before. It's just the small Bluetooth dongle that plugs directly into an N64. It is powered by Darth Cloud's low latency Blue Retro platform. So it's compatible with everything that you could use with that, including the very low latency PS5 controller. And it's available in clear smoke or original gray. So if you wanted this one, each batch has you know been pretty successful so far and sold out pretty quickly. Um, these are expected to ship in September of this year, so just a few months away. And I believe orders are open through 8-Bit Mods now, and I'm not sure if they're open through Castlemania and other resellers, but I dropped the links to the stores that I know here. So basically, if you were waiting on one of these and they've been sold out, now's the time to jump on it. 
I just completed a live stream with Ed, aka Space Invader One, who is an expert in Unraid, which is software that you could put on any old PC to turn it into a network detached storage. I'm not going to go into what Unraid is here. We ranted about it in our uh, interview that we did a while back. It's my favorite backup software for my, my NAS server. But one of the things that it could do is run virtual machines. And Ed has created a really easy way to install Windows 98 as a virtual machine. And if you just want to do that and you don't care about sound, you could just do that right now. Just load up Unraid, go to apps and search for Win98, W-I-N-98, and Ed's thing will come up super easy. There's not much else to it. Where, where it gets complicated is only if you want to pass through original hardware to run in the virtual machine. So the stream that we did is going to be part one and at least a two-parter where we try to figure this out. But the majority of this stream was first, the first hour was just seeing if the PC that I'm using, by the way, shout out to Lou from Lou's RetroSource for hooking me over that motherboard and CPU. But um, the first part of the stream was just to see if that motherboard could pass through hardware to Unraid in a way that it would be useful for this stuff. And for me personally, the answer is no, it would be much better to get an external PCI to PCIe converter and use that instead. Um, so that's step one. Uh, maybe your motherboard will be much luckier. If you wanted to try all this stuff, you could certainly follow along with the stream and see where we're at with it. But if not, if you run into a situation like mine where the motherboard manufacturer just uses a PCI to PCIe chipset that's not compatible with Unraid in a specific way, do the external version, and then you could actually get real hardware passed through the VM. So you could essentially use a real video card and a real audio card with this virtual machine, making it a zero lag solution. So why would you want to bother? Well, lag is certainly part of it, but also accuracy to the original and I like to think that multi-use devices are probably more of a draw for people. So I think many people listening would think it was very neat to own a completely original retro PC. But how many people are going to go out there and try to hunt down all of the working parts, restore what needs to be restored, get all of it working in a box that maybe you'll love or maybe you'll fire it up a couple times a year? However, on the flip side, how many people would take a very handy Unraid server that they're already using for a million other things, throw some devices in that, and also make that a retro PC for far cheaper as well? So that's the other thing that we want to work on with pass-through. The only other part of the stream that we worked on was trying to get virtualized audio working. And it's looking like that's possible, but not there yet. So I'm calling, I'm not going to write a post on this yet. I did want to just talk about it here real quick. But this stream, if you're interested at all, is for people that just, uh, and I'll leave timestamps, of course, but if you want to just install the VM just to mess around with Windows 98 with no sound, super easy. Just, you know, as long as you have an existing Unraid server running, it's minutes tops, but you're not going to get audio working yet. And if you also want to use this stream to try to go through and see if you could pass through hardware, that might be helpful. But for most of you who just want to probably hear the conclusion, I will follow up in about a month once all the parts I, I ordered arrive, and then I'll have a formal post on retro RGB. So for respectfully, for most people, probably skip this one. But if this is something you are seriously thinking about, 
maybe just leave it on in the background and mark down the times that are relevant to you, like checking how to how to even pass through hardware at all, what to do when it doesn't pass through correctly, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll stop rambling now. It's a great stream, but we're not finished yet. So a lot more to come on this stuff. This Friday, July 21st at 10 a.m. Eastern time, New York City time, PixelFX will be launching a video on their YouTube channel that has a bunch of new announcements. And I think some pre-orders might be opening up then too. Might be new stock of existing products, might be new products. I think you're gonna have to watch for yourself in order to find out. But I wanted to let everybody know because I always wanna make sure that I get pre-order dates or things that have a limited purchase window in. Uh, even if I don't have all of the answers, I'd rather just let you know exactly like this. Hey, log in on Friday, July 21st. This post here says Pacific time, it's Eastern time. So just go to their YouTube channel um, and check out what they have, see what products they have coming out. And of course, next week, I'll have a much more detailed post and be able to talk about it more here. But just in case you were waiting on anything from Pixel FX, supposedly all your questions will be answered this Friday, July 21st, 10 a.m. New York City time. Tune in and see what they got. I, for one, am certainly excited to see what they're going to be releasing this summer. So I guess I'll, I'll see you there on that video. Last week, I did a four-hour live stream about VHS capture, and that might actually only be part one of two or three to try to figure this out, but I wanted to do a sort of quick summary now just to kind of give an idea, uh, give people an idea about why I'm doing this. But first and foremost, capturing 480i from older media is so much harder than you would expect. And in fact, any analog video capture is just way harder than you might think, especially because you might think, oh, it's old 480i signals, everything should handle that. It's absolutely not the case. And on top of that, you have to decide, do you want to capture in 480i? So you have a nice small file that's the original that you could then deinterlace and upscale later. And if new technology comes out 10 years from now, you have that original so that you could do that again with whatever newer technology is out. Or do you just want it to go right to 480p, 720p, 1080p, whatever? And that's that's something you have to decide, but you also want to decide about ease of use. And that was one of the major things I learned from this. Uh, I have a DVD uh, recorder VHS combo unit here that wasn't the best. It wasn't the worst, but it wasn't the best. However, you put your VHS tape in, you hit play, you hit one button record, when you're done, you hit stop, you hit finalize, and that's it. Now you have original 480i on a DVD. It looks fine. And in fact, if you have kind of gritty old home movies, it's not going to be that much worse than the other ones. And now you have the DVD as a backup. Yeah, I know DVD-R only lasts like 10 years, but then you could just put that in any DVD-ROM drive and rip it to your hard drive and then do exactly what I said. Just keep it as 480i, upscale it using Simon's uh, Bravicon, the broadcast video converter I talked about a while back. But the other option you have is going to your PC, which is much harder, but that could potentially be much, much higher quality than a cheap DVD combo drive like that, or a standalone combo thing. And that's where I need to definitely revisit things. I'm pretty sure, thanks to the R3 Wiki, Fudo, and a bunch of other friends, I found out that that Avermedia Live Gamer 4K, while it's reading an interlaced image, it might not actually accept one. So that's when you go into thinking about, okay, well, the new RetroTINK 5X beta firmware supports time-based correction. So technically, that RetroTINK, that if you wanted to buy for, what was it, like 300 bucks, 
which is a fraction of the price of that data video time-based corrector that's out there, uh, selling for way too much money, by the way. There's so much easier ways to get time-based correctors. But if you already own a Tink or if you're on the fence, now you could use that and you could either set it to 480p, set it to 720, or set it to 480i pass-through to get the exact same goal that I was started talking about. Maybe you want that 480i file so you could archive the smaller file and then use software to scale it and deinterlace as every time you know new stuff happens, maybe you'd want to take your favorite things and reconvert those. Um, so that's a big deal. Or you could just, you know, Use your tink to capture it in 1080p, and it'll be totally fine. In fact, it'll probably be as good or better than a lot of other solutions out there. Now, the one thing I didn't show are those cheap composite to HDMI converters that I always say never use for gaming, even some of them, even though some of them are labeled for gaming. They actually do a perfectly good job on VHS tapes. I just think that there's a few other things that we could do that would be better for for that. So that's a totally acceptable answer if that's what you wanted to do. Maybe set it to 720p instead of 1080 and kind of just let it, you know, see what you could do with that file. But the next stream, I really want to do 480i directly into the computer using a Datapath SD. I forgot the name, but it was a Datapath card that accepts S-Video and Composite. There's a Hotparse card I want to try as well. Um, I tried a USB-based one from back in the day that would be a lot of fun if you were a retro PC user, but I don't really think it holds up to other solutions today. So this is going to be you know, a multi-part series here, and I've had a lot of awesome friends help me out with this. But the next step are 480i direct recording to a PC, and that's going to be really helpful for people that have video cameras that don't use VHS standard. Because a lot of my friends growing up had those mini VHS tapes where you just put them in the converter so that you could put it in a larger VHS. Uh, but what if you were like me and you had like a Super 8 or something where you have to just use the composite video out of the camcorder, if that's the case, then you're going to need to do something external, whether it is an external DVD uh, recorder box like I used in this stream or whether it's going direct into your computer, that's going to have to be up to you. But I want to keep going down this road. And just once again, please remember, it's way harder than it seems. I'm, I'm sure you had a great time converting your three tapes using a guide that you found online, and I'm sure it came out fine. But what we do here is strive for as perfect as you can get while still remembering ease of use with stuff that you could get today. One of the su suggestions that I heard in the chat that I thought was awesome, but I don't, I'm not going to do it, is there were a couple of models of VHS players that have firewire outputs so you could also then go find yourself an old mac and use final cut from back then to rip the vhs tape directly in that sounds neat i'm not hunting down all of that old equipment in order to accomplish that and who knows what quality that vhs player actually is maybe just one of the early 2000s jvcs with s video outputs going to be better so that's kind of the other reason i need to revisit this is what could we do today. And utilizing the Tink 5X is absolutely going to be one of the top recommendations because we, we're retro nerds. We might already own one. But I'm going to dig into the rest of it. It's probably going to be two more streams and then I'll have a guide up. But the guy, this is all, you know, ease of use first, quality second. And then, of course, I would love to re-interview Simon and Chad from the Doomsday Duplicator pro uh, Project and try one of those because I think that's going to be the best overall quality. But that's 
probably going to be the, the, the most complicated and time consuming. But if you have stuff that's super important to you, especially if you have many things that you want to digitize, that's probably going to be your best bet. So hopefully this little, you know, five, six minute summary was good enough to get you an idea of what I did in that stream. If you still want to watch it, by all means, have at it. But I think my summary pretty much uh, just kind of put that whole four hours together in less than 10 minutes. So I'm going to keep doing stuff like this. Uh, I'm really interested in, in just trying to get better digitization. And if anybody has any suggestions, please keep them coming. Kenny jumped into the chat. was a big help. Uh, there was a few other people that were really helpful on this. So shout out to all of you. And let's see if we could just make this easier for people that want to just put their old VHS memories on their computer without it sucking. <laughs> well, that's it for this time. Thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and also especially thank you to anybody who supports, because it is you who is keeping all of this stuff going. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and I'll see you next week.